0: Meanwhile, we called NATO. We actually had service on the sat phone. We said, hey, we're in major trouble here. This is our location. Please send a, an attack helicopter or something. We're about to get boarded. Mm. Again, I was absolutely certain we were getting boarded. There was no question in my mind. I'm like, they're jamming Channel 16 with rap music. They're, they're coming after us. We're getting boarded for sure. We called NATO, so I thought we might, might have a chance. Maybe they'd come and defend us. We were in their corridor. And again, by some miracle that I cannot even begin to explain, their boat stopped completely. the the day turned into night and we had everything (laughs) shut off and we slipped away with the sails down and both engines on and made a run for it and we just somehow slipped away in the night wow yeah and i to this day cannot explain how
1: welcome beautiful thinkers now that is a clip from this interview i did with monty jones a couple of weeks ago so in this interview you're gonna hear how Monty was determined, he had a dream for several years reading these sailors' magazines. He had a dream to become a captain of a yacht or a catamaran. And finally, he decided to go down to Thailand, and convince the training company to do th- three courses in a row so he could complete the requirements for his license to become a skipper. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, condensing it down into just three weeks and then how he decided to accept a charter all expenses paid but but not uh not a paid gig not receiving cash traveling all the way from the seychelles islands to alexandria egypt going through pirate alley and eventually running the risk of being boarded by pirates and how he survived that event. Now, in this interview, you're going to hear how I nudge Monty a little bit to hear things, to to see things from a slightly different perspective and that at the end you'll hear how uh, grateful he is that I I, I challenged him a little bit or I, I asked him some different questions about that. Now, maybe you need something like that in your life. Maybe you need somebody to to help you see your life in a slightly different way and I can help you with that. So if you go to beautifulpodcast.com, you see at the top, it says CBT sessions. So I'm offering these sessions using cognitive behavioral techniques and we can go through and listen to to your situation, to what's going on in your mind. And I'll understand what's happening or do my best to understand what's going on in your head and I'll put a little pressure on you and in, in the, hopefully the right points so you can begin to see things from a different perspective or imagine what your life might be like if you had different beliefs. And we can go through and formulate an action plan so you can integrate those beliefs into your life to begin the process of change so head on over to beautifulpodcast.com you see that link at the top there in in the title bar or in the um the the bar at the top there and you can book a session with me let's begin the interview Mm -hmm. here with Monty Jones he's gonna tell us a story about adventure on the high seas about pirates and danger and uh, adventure <laughs> how are you Monty excellent excellent thanks for asking it yourself <laughs> yeah I'm good mate nice so this the story kind of begins well you' you're working in Fort St John as a heavy heavy uh heavy operate right. right natural gas and, and uh, fossil fuels there yeah pipeline. Um, what's what's your daily life like there
0: yeah in Fort St. John it's a northeastern British Columbia small town you know 20,000 people of kind of redneck uh, <laughs> in, a, in a good way you know in the way that I enjoy yeah. and uh, yeah so those are typically 12-hour days um, generally we get paid for the time we leave the house to the time we get back so um, hmm. yeah you know a couple hours in the in the pickup truck and 10 hours in the machine and you know, wow. good money and Six seven days a week, depending on the contract. Right. Okay.
1: Um, Hard work and a lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> well, decent, yep. good money. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, that's good. And It's like you're you're uh, working there and you're you're actually building the pipelines for the natural gas. Or- Absolutely, from start yeah. to finish. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then uh, you had this this idea in your mind, or you said early you said to me that you always had a sailing magazine there, there with you yeah that's correct yeah i always had sailing
0: magazines in my backpack that i carried my lunch and whatnot in and every coffee break i'd have a magazine in my lap and i'd be dreaming about sailboats and sailing yeah why is that I don't know honestly I, I don't know if it has something to do with a previous life if there is such a thing or, or what it was but ever since I was a child when I, when I was a child I, I lived in books I read a lot of books and my favorite ones were about sailing adventures of old and about you know knights of the round table and that sort of thing mm. and so I've always had a fascination with it my whole life. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of a fantasy or a dream. That yeah. You had to, to me, it always, it always, there was always something. Um, I guess in my mind, it, that that equated freedom. You know, mm-hmm. being out on the high seas on a boat, to, in my mind, was the most freedom you could possibly experience. Even though I'd never mm-hmm. done it, at least in this lifetime, I hadn't
1: done it. So mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure, but that's what I imagined it. To yeah. And that's what people say too. Like people, people talk about wow, the sea And there's also you, you mentioned a book to me. Uh, months ago, about, about a, a guy who lives on the sea growing his little, I don't know, germinating lentils or something. Yeah, and it's, that book is called
0: Sailing the Farm Independence on 30 Feet. And I believe the author's name is Ken Needlemeyer. I think I got the, the last name, I've probably butchered a bit, but a fascinating book. Um, basically, describes in detail how you can sail around the world, not as a holiday,
1: but as a way of life. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So you, you had that inspiration from, from these, these dreams and these magazines that you were reading. And then what, what happened that you decided to take action about? I just
0: finally got tired of dreaming of it. I wanted to actually experience it. So <laughs> I thought, well, the first step is probably to learn how to sail. And hmm. I've never taken a, a trip anywhere that counted before. i had been to the States, but that doesn't count. It's too much like Canada. So I, didn't, I don't count that. Mm. And so I wanted to do, I wanted to take some kind of an international trip
1: and I wanted to learn how to sail. Hmm. But what's the, what's the thought process when you're making that decision? Like, is it just screw it? You know, let's do it like, (laughs) like Richard Branson or something or where, where does it come from? part of it is
0: probably that i was always a bit of an adrenaline junkie so my <laughs> my hobbies included you know dirt bikes race quads mountain sleds and when i was riding a mountain sled i got quite good at it i used to do cliff drops and shoot climbs and so really really advanced stuff that, that's super dangerous and, and technical mm. and i really like adventure and i thought that would be a grand adventure to fly to the other side of the planet and experience a different culture and learn how to sail <laughs> <laughs> right. So you booked it a sailing course. I did. I booked a sailing. Actually, I booked three courses back to back, which this uh-huh. company had never done before. Uh-huh. And the, I found the company online. They were their golf charters out of Thailand. That's where I learned how to sail. And I, when I contacted them by email, I said, "Look, I wanted, I want to leave there with my skipper's license, and I've never been on a sailboat in my life." <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so
0: naturally, they wrote back and said, "Well, that's probably not possible, and you know, no one else has done that before, and <laughs> we've never had anyone do these courses back to back. Typically, people come and they do, you know, either the the crew course or the watchkeeper course, depending on where they've what they already have accomplished as far as sailing goes." Mm-hmm. And I told them, "Well, that's not going to work for me. I've got my mind made up. I want to do." whole entire thing in one shot and there's only two months a year that i have a window to do it because of my oil patch career we Mm -hmm. call it breakup in canada it's where the ground gets too wet and soggy from the winter thaw and basically the whole industry shuts down for two three months so i said here's the two three month window and i want to do all the courses back to back and I said that it's roughly six months from now. So that should give you enough time to find some more customers to hopefully make this happen. And if you can make it happen, I will give you, I'll pay in full before I even get there and, and I'll, I'll commit to it. Mm. These are Thai people, or the nope. They were they, no, they were expats. Um, uh-huh. They did have some ties working for them, of course, but uh, it was expat run. Uh, the guy, there was an Australian guy actually named Phil Harper that owned the company at the time. Okay, yeah, really, really good guy, and I believe he's still involved with golf charters to this day. Mm, okay, yeah. this is out of Bangkok, or where? no, no, they were based out of uh, in between. Um, there was a little fishing village I stayed in called Banampur, and then it was Sin City, Pathaya. So, Pathaya, Thailand, and Banampur was a fishing village. So, so those two places are separated by roughly 15 kilometers. So, the marina was at the 7.5 kilometer mark. It was right basically in between the two. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, the, eventually, they said, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> eventually, yeah. Eventually, they said, hey, we found enough customers. We can do this. The deposit is this much. And it includes all of the co- actually I was prepaying for all of the courses and my accommodations, which they lined up. What and it was amazing. They lined it up with a Dutch couple. They were just a really awesome couple, and they own these big apartment. Um, they called it a condo hotel. and some I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but basically <laughs> yeah. condo apartments or whatever. Yeah. And so that's what I did. Yeah, I just I prepaid and booked the flight, and and then basically worked out the rest of the
1: winter season and anticipated my trip. Okay. Yep. So uh, so you book booked the flight for that off season from that breakup. Yes. And then you you flew out there to Thailand. I guess you hadn't been to Thailand before. I'd never been anywhere out of Canada or the US in my life. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well,
0: what was it like? Well, wow, first impression. Well, there it was it was quite an ordeal just getting there because initially I was denied my original flight because of issues with the US customs there was a plane change in the states that was required and they are a funny bunch, you know, I don't have a criminal record or any issues but I was detained by U.S. Customs at the Calgary Airport in, Graham, er, in, uh, in Alberta and, and still on Canadian soil. And I said, hey, you need a waiver to come through U.S. territory because you don't have one. You're not flying today. So I thought the whole trip was done before it started. Hmm. And then my sister said, no, you've been looking forward to this for far too long. I've been, and you're going no matter what. She had a whole bunch of air miles. So she just said, find another flight. I'm on my way to the airport. Hmm. She booked the next flight with air miles. And off I went. I've you know so. Wow. I showed up in Bangkok having been awake for about 72 hours because this whole thing just drug on and I was so ramped up with all the, the potential setbacks and finally getting to go and whatever. So I show up in Bangkok and this lady picks me up at the airport that used to be married to my younger brother and the first thing she says to me after a greeting, she says, you know, I don't really like driving the city, would you mind? And the city, of course, is you know roughly 30 million people, which is almost the same population as the whole entire country of Canada. I go to get in the car, and she says, "No, not that side, this side, because the, the operating station of the car is opposite from North American cars, which means, and it was manual, so now the gear shifts in the wrong hand." And I'm in a city <laughs> with 30 million people, so that was a pretty crazy adventure in itself. <laughs> Uh, but to get to then, yeah, you have you had to take a boat, or no, 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 it's on the main highway. And actually, so because of ah, culture okay. over there, because of the the family culture, um, we were just it was just kind of me and her at first for a little shopping trip to the mall to get me some short sh- some shorts because I didn't really have any shorts. You know, I come from a redneck town, just wear jeans all the time. No need for shorts there. And I needed some light clothes for a really hot climate. <laughs> it was so hot there because that's actually their low season. Um, because it gets too hot for the tourists all the tourists leave like it's super <laughs> hot like 45 degrees in the shade hot celsius so super hot mm-hmm. muggy and um and then we needed a chaperone for a longer drive because of their culture so her younger brother hopped in the car with us i drove the whole time and i literally drove us all out to the small fishing village in perb one of my sailing instructors met us sir we had a really nice supper on uh, like an open air restaurant on stilts over the sea wow yeah, um, very, very interesting. Mostly gay waiters there, which were fantastic. The service was amazing, but <laughs> a little different for a, for a guy from a redneck town. And the ocean, <laughs> the ocean coming in underneath the, the restaurant, like you could see it under the, the through the cracks of the floorboards and hear it. And it was just amazing, like really amazing food, buckets of beer. I was exhausted, but I was still super, super stoked. And then they get this. So, so we're sitting there, and the instructor says to me, because it's Friday night. I've been awake for 72 hours. I've just drove through this crazy city where... Um, when somebody puts a signal light on, they're merging, whether you make room or not. You basically move or get your car dented, right? That's all, <laughs> so this whole crazy thing. And then I'm sitting there and we're having supper. And he says, okay, so Monty, your course starts Monday morning and it's only Friday night. So you have the weekend to take it easy. He said, however, we have our 32-foot catamaran. is over on Chang Island and we need to send a crew over there in the morning to bring it back. Would you be interested in, in going and helping them bring it back? And of course, I, Catamaran was the highest on my list to learn how to sail because I imagined in my mind it would be the most stable boat. They have the most room. They're they're just really, they're, they're like a floating apartment. And some of them are quite good in the performance area as well. So of course, I jumped at it and I said, yeah, what time do I have to be up in the morning? And he said, six o'clock. And <laughs> you slept yet? Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly i know it's crazy right but i was so excited to get on my first sailboat i, I couldn't wow. turn it down so yeah. i said yeah i'll be there all but be- I, I think actually i had to get up before six to make it to the ferry in time to meet the guys and maybe the meeting was at six i don't remember now but it was super early all <laughs> right so what was it like first oh, time it was amazing. On a boat. absolutely amazing it was everything yeah. i dreamed it would be i was just an <laughs> absolute heaven I, I was just beside myself i just it was like it, it was like a dream come true <laughs> it's just an absolutely amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I loved That's it. Great. I had no idea what I was doing, and uh, and but yeah, you know, it was it was a good first experience because a catamaran is more stable. Even a even something shorter like a thirty-two foot, it's still a more stable platform. They don't heel over too too aggressively, and so yeah, I could kind of walk around and you know yeah. get my sea legs. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you learned to sail over those t- two months? No, actually, I was done in three weeks, three and a half weeks. What? I was completely done. <laughs> it was the craziest thing we to get this like so we're two or three days into the course like we still none of us had any clue how to sail maybe it was five days in. i don't remember but it was we were not a week into the first course which is crew and we were told by i think it was phil it was where one of the instructors i think it might have been phil the owner of the company anyways uh, we were told hey there's uh this regatta with the sailboat race starts i think it was like the day after tomorrow or something. It was like right away. And would you like to be entered in this race? Well, none of us knew how to sail yet, but we're all like, yeah, of course, you know, why wouldn't we? <laughs> you know, Not so everybody was, else is excited as you. Oh, I think so. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's you know, it was a while ago. I think so. I mean, we were we were worried about it. We like we were apprehensive, and we were told like it's not a big deal. We're just going to enter you in the cruising class. No pressure. Hmm. Um, we're just going to use a thirty-two foot mono haul. It's a fun boat to sail. You'll have a Canadian skipper. Um, you know, you'll learn a bit about regatta. You know, protocol and etiquette, which will be really good for your sailing experience and sailing careers. Hmm. And they said, uh, technically in the cruising class, you can drink on the boat after, you know, well, whenever the skipper says it's okay, you, you know, because it's alcohol is allowed on the cruising boats. So it's not, not as hardcore as the thing. And there, but there was full race teams that flew in from around the world. This is a big deal. There was big television crews all over the place and okay. it's a huge deal. Like it's. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking like the, some of the biggest racing teams around the planet are there with their carbon fiber race yachts and you know wow. full television crews yeah that's yeah. a big deal
1: but Top- at the same time they let you in just being amateurs. Well, there's there's, mul- still- there's
0: multiple classes. So ah, those guys see, would be in the expert class or whatever they called it. I don't even know what you. the different divisions were called. Yeah. there was multiple divisions, and so we were in the cruising class, which is the very lowest division there is. <laughs> <laughs> and and we were always coming in pretty much dead last. So you know we weren't in anyone's way by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but it was so fun. Like I mean, there was there was one day I was a little bummed out because I am quite competitive by nature, and the skipper had come up with a plan. This was day two of the race. It was a five day race if I remember right or three day race I think it was five I don't remember now three or five days of just racing like every day and then these huge after parties which were so much fun Mm. but day two the skipper if I remember right John Magel was his name and he said I've got a different idea today I've been studying the currents and the tides and the winds and I think if we deviate from the main crew we'll pick up some time and some speed using the current store advantage all sounded like a fantastic idea but we got our asses handed to us (laughs) and we were so we got we were so far behind it was and i was frustrated and and i'd actually bought i think i'd put like i might have put two flats of beer on the boat that day at least a flat anyway so i had at least 24 beer on there (laughs) and and so i was bugging him like when can we have the first beer he said well either 12 noon or when we round the first mark whichever comes first and i think it was 12 noon that came first because we were so far behind and i got absolutely plowed that day
1: because <laughs> i was frustrated that we were so far behind but it was still great fun it sounded like you were putting a lot of pressure on yourself probably
0: i think that's <laughs> fairly typical of me i tend to do that so i just really wanted to finish in a, in a good position even though we really didn't even know how to sail yet <laughs>
1: Why, why do you think you put so much pressure on yourself even when you're just you know three four days into learning a skill i don't know
0: <laughs> i really don't know i think i've kind of always been like that and even to this day i tend to put a lot of pressure on myself like learning how to trade and learning how to do different things yeah even as a heavy equipment operator i, I had to be the best i absolutely had to there was just something that drove me and i worked extra hard at it and i was the best for a while yeah. I was
1: extremely good at what I did. Right. Yeah, I believe it. Well, what do you think that, like, obviously there's, there's benefits and, and uh, costs to that way of thinking. What do you think of the, the benefits and what are the costs? I think the, benefit, the benefits outweigh the
0: cost big time. The costs are lots of concentration and effort and willpower. And the benefits are excelling. I think strong, selling the it. way around. What? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, okay. Or sorry. The, yeah, you're right. The costs. <laughs> Are the extra attention and willpower and concentration and effort, and the benefits are
1: just you know pulling it off and being the best and and Uh and. and But it costs is uh, is also that that frustration when you you feel like you need everything now, you need to be the best right now. Nothing can wait.
0: Yeah, there is that. I. I, I do, I think I can, uh, I'm not, I'm not the best at, at kind of slowing down and saying, well, you know, I'm learning, I'll, I'll get better at it. I do do that. <laughs> I, I could be better at doing that and be a little easier on myself. However, I guess we're all just wired different and that's sort of how I'm wired. and And so, yeah, I just go for it and try and be as good as I could possibly be and, yeah. and I do get frustrated if I don't if I'm not as good as I think I can be and yeah I, and then I try way harder and putting, <laughs> you know just yeah
1: do whatever it takes kind of thing you think it's possible to, to try really hard and do your best without putting so much pressure on yourself yeah I do think it's possible I think
0: there's a lot of tools out there especially in this day and age and I probably should be using a lot more of them <laughs> which tools? Oh, just uh, personal development tools. Uh-huh. You know, like just breathe, for example. I don't, you know, <laughs> I haven't learned how to breathe yet. You know, it's such a basic thing. You know, people, what do you mean you don't know how to breathe You've been alive for how many years? It's like, yeah, no, I've, I get by. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I'm not, you know, I don't know anything about Wim Hof, breathe. Oh, I, I know the theory uh, behind it. I've never done it. Yeah. You know, meditation. Know. It's like, what's yeah. that? Like, I, I, I know the concept, I've tried it. You know, I sit down and I make it like two, three minutes. And my mind's already like
1: mock chicken somewhere else in another universe. I'm like, oh crap! Yeah, well, that's a, that's the, well, that's the thing as well. This is a problem with, like for uh, self-demanding people because like you sit sit down for meditation, and you know, maybe you even hear this concept like, Oh just uh, make your mind go blank, and you're like. Mm, trying really hard to make your mind go blank that's not how you make (laughs) that's that's not going to help and uh, anyway you like said making your mind blank is this really high standard that maybe people reach after months or years of of meditation right so it's like uh, you know if you sit sit down for meditation the first time maybe your goal should just be just uh, bring your focus back to the point of attention. You know? That's what <laughs> and I try to cool do. cool with uh, whatever happens. <laughs> right. Yeah, I try that. But uh, I guess that's just maybe
0: one of those things that I have to attack like everything else and say, well, I have to get good at this. So let's just sit here until I figure it out.
1: Yeah, well, the, this is the paradox about it because you can't treat it like that. You can't be self-demanding when it comes to meditation. It will not work. Okay. This is the... <laughs> like the skill where you you must let go of that <laughs> okay. become the observer that's what people say yeah yeah right. that's one, that's one way of looking at it yeah right. that's right cool yeah <laughs> something to work on yeah yeah all right so so you didn't win the regatta i imagine. oh no no we got <laughs> we got
0: absolutely just yeah we, we we got handed out there for sure but you know it was a really good experience and I was i'm grateful and, and thankful to this very day for it it was amazing yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and like the instructors and the courses and the golf charters the whole experience in thailand was absolutely unbelievable i I actually had my skipper's license completed in three and a half weeks i was there in thailand for a total of five weeks so finally after the three and a half weeks of super intensive like either in a classroom on a sailboat the whole entire time the last week and a half i got to just kind of chill out and just go party (laughs) and kind of enjoy the sights and
1: yeah it's so beautiful man
0: it really is i did not want to come home (laughs) i was pretty salty when i got back to
1: canada (laughs) Uh, yeah my friends got sick of it pretty quick (laughs) so they they uh they gave you a skipper's license
0: they did yeah so it's kind of uh there's different different ranges of of captain's licenses this one is um like considered a recreational license so Hmm. then i decided at that point i said to myself well you know i did pretty good with this i think i want to advance to a professional level license and i thought why not go for my 200 ton commercial so that's the license i wanted to get next was for a 200 ton commercial endorsement and so what kind of ship is a 200 ton ship i imagine like well especially a sailboat see we we'd be talking you know yeah probably you know 120 140 foot i don't know i haven't worked out the math maybe even bigger okay but it'd be a proper i mean that's that'd be a pretty good size because uh you know a 50 foot cat is typically between 22 and twenty six thousand pounds pounds the, the high performance ones are lighter so, so that's like
1: two two tons, tons right no
0: no no. 20 i think it's isn't it 2200 pounds per ton i think it's, i don't know that's an I think it's right around there. I don't really know. Yeah. So so we're talking like a 12, 14-ton boat. And I wanted to get a commercial endorsement for a 200-ton boat.
1: Okay. (laughs) Roughly 10 times the size or whatever. All right. Okay. (laughs) So how did that happen? Well, I still haven't actually
0: pulled off the 200-ton endorsement. But I did. That's how Pirate Alley happened. So basically I decided I want to get my 200-ton commercial endorsement, which means I need a lot more mileage. And I need a Uh, proper ocean passage. Yep. So I was told to go on a site called Mm crewseekers.net, which is a site that you can go and and it's a paid site. So you pay to have a membership there. Mm -hmm. But there's these sailing gigs that come up all over the world. Sometimes it's just private yacht owners that need extra crew to help them sail from continent to continent. That's pretty typical. Mm -hmm. So I was on there and I've been watching for a while. And this this one gig came up and it was a delivery job of a 50 foot catamaran from Seychelles Republic to Alexandria, Egypt. And I looked on the global map and that was a pretty good run. I knew that would give me all the mileage I needed and all the days at sea I needed to get my 200 ton commercial endorsement. So that was the one I decided I wanted and I applied for it. Now when I applied, I sent the sailing CV to the, to the email address mm-hmm. and provided my phone number and all that stuff. The skipper's wife got back to me and she said, you know, the skipper, David, he's out at sea right now. I just got to tell you, you don't have a lot of experience and he probably won't take you. This is mm-hmm. kind of, this is kind of a high profile job. Sure. However, I'll pass on your CV and the deci- decision is ultimately his. And five days later, he got in touch and wanted a Skype interview. So okay. I did a Skype interview with him and he decided he was
1: going to take me. Really? Yes. So do you think like did he not get a lot of interest or was he just liked you or what was the factor i was wondering
0: that when i applied (laughs) because i knew that there was some piracy along the proposed route i kind of looked it up and it didn't look too bad like there was definitely some concerns you know there were some some Somalian piracy activity that had been documented. And, you know, there was some, you know, so I knew that there were some risks, but I honestly had no idea how bad it was until I got to the Middle East. So, and that was 12, 12, 14 days into the, well, we were 12 days, you know, across the Indian Ocean to get into Oman. And that was after nearly getting ported once already. So, right. But so wait, let's, dude, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's okay. get it ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So, okay so you don't you don't know for, sh- for sure why he accepted you but maybe it was because other people didn't want the risk
0: I
2: <laughs>
1: strongly believe that there was only two or three of us
0: that were crazy enough to apply for it in the first place possibly two because there was two of us basically hired quote unquote air quotes yeah Uh, it was not a paying job it was a volunteer oh really it was a volunteer job all it it was all expenses paid from london heathrow and back to london heathrow so i had to pay my own way to london england and then everything mm-hmm. was paid for from that point. So okay. that was the marshalling point. So uh, that uh, was the deal. Oh, so okay. it cost me money out of pocket to go and do this job. <laughs> okay. So what, what did you think of the skipper, of, of the captain? He was definitely an interesting sort. So from the UK, um, I, I did like him. He did really piss me off a few times, like really pissed me <laughs> off a few times. But overall, I did like him. I'm still in contact with him to this day. Yeah. The first, Im- first impression? First impression, I wasn't 100% sure. You know, yeah. he sounded like he knew what he was doing, and that was the main thing. And. Yeah. But you know, like I'm a stranger in a strange land, right? I mean, I'd only been, I'd only been out of Canada or the U.S. once my whole entire life. That was Thailand to get the license, and now I'm I'm going to even crazier parts of the world with people I don't even know, and I'm going to do something that's pretty freaking risky. And I basically have to put my life in his hands because legally the captain is responsible for everything that happens on that ship or on right. that sailboat when you're out at sea, including being responsible for the crew members, including uh the fact that we have to do what he tells us because yeah that, that's sort of the, the the legality of how it works especially right. when you take on a job as a crew member yeah. you answer to the captain and you do what he says and you yeah. go where he no, tells you to no go. mutiny allowed no exactly. <laughs> you, you could do mutiny if you had a good enough reason to but you might be answering for it in international court it's hard to say right just depends right. on what happens if somebody dies or whatever if yes. one of us gets killed he's responsible he's legally responsible yeah so, yeah, it's a, it's a totally different paradigm. And me being a super independent person, that was not an easy decision and it wasn't easy for me to do, to mm. just literally put my life in someone else's hands and be prepared to do what I was told. I've never been good right. at doing what I was told, ever. <laughs> right. Not from the
1: time I was a child, so. Yeah, well, this is, being, being such a, you know, rugged individualist and s- such a self-demanding, you know, autonomous person, why, why do you think you did decide to put your lives in the strangest hands i really wanted the mileage i wanted the mileage to go do <laughs> like 200 ton commercial license because i was
0: thinking okay. i might want a career in the sailboat industry versus just being a heavy equipment operator and, and a supervisor right. in the pipeline industry i'd already been doing that for a while and i was kind of getting tired of it and i would already mastered it absolutely mastered it so hmm. i thought i'd like to master something new Mm-hmm. And if it's and most things in life, if you want to master something, especially something new, it requires some sacrifice. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll make the sacrifice by giving up my my autonomy and, and you know and maybe taking on significant risk mm-hmm. so that I can leapfrog myself instead of taking a painstaking while to get the mileage I need. Wow. I could do it in one trip and have it done. Wow. And then go on <laughs> to do the training. Because once I have the mileage logged and the time at sea logged I can literally just enlist for the training as soon as I can afford it, and I could go straight on to get the 200-ton commercial endorsement. Mm. So what did your family think about this? Uh, I don't really know. They didn't have much of an option. I mean, I, I just told them. Because they I just know. Go,
1: uh, Monty is going to do what Yeah, yeah basically. I think, I think my family has the same uh, opinion about me, they, you know, my, my crazy adventures. but your sister didn't say anything either they were worried because
0: of you know there they knew there was maybe a little risk of pirates i don't think they understood how bad it was either right and and i did tell them i'll check in whenever i get service which would be basically whenever we hit port but i said there'll be times where you don't hear from me for two three weeks and don't be alarmed that's just you know i'll be out in the middle of the ocean somewhere and i'm not going to have access to communications yeah yeah fair enough
1: okay so what about
0: your workmates Did they have anything to say uh not a whole bunch i mean they thought it was super interesting and um, right. but they also thought I was a lunatic and, <laughs> like why would you go do that And why wouldn't you just stay and make money and it's like well because i can do that anytime i can just yeah. like i mean i'm you know, whatever i can afford to go and yeah. i don't new need challenge. to just, yeah i want a new challenge so yeah. i know i need to go challenge myself
1: yeah, great. Yeah. Okay. So so you flew from uh basically BC to Heathrow. Yeah, exactly. But I went 3
0: days early. Okay. I've never been to London, England before or Europe at all, so I thought I'm going to go 3 days early and mm. just go see the sights. Mm. And there was that was the only time in the whole entire in all of my travels before and since and i've been to a lot of places now that i've ever been robbed was actually london wow. <laughs> yeah that's kind of a funny side story i'll keep it super short but there was this old guy i was sitting with on the airplane and he he warned me about uh there's a neighborhood in london called soho right. And he said listen you're gonna be you know doing the tourist thing and sightseeing and eventually you're gonna get hot and thirsty and you're gonna be craving a cold beer and possibly some interesting sights that might include you know some nudity or something like that and he said you mm-hmm. might He said, you'll wander into Soho and someone's going to promise you the world and you're going to end up in some shady basement somewhere and you're going to get robbed. And if you don't cooperate, some really big guy is going to come out and make you cooperate. Mm. So he said, just don't go there. Don't go into Soho and you'll be fine. (laughs) And it's so messed up because it went down exactly the way he said. Exactly. (laughs) I'm wandering around. and just parched. And I see this sign and it it says Soho. And I'm like... Oh, that that guy told me not to go into Seoul, but it looks really tame. It doesn't look dodgy. Right. I'll just walk in two blocks. Like two blocks is not going to be a big deal. I walk in two blocks. There's this really hot girl in a bikini, like at this kind of like in a, outside of the, of the place, like looking for customers.
1: Hmm. Oh, you know how are you
0: going? You know, whatever. Well, they don't talk like that, but you know what I mean. Do you <laughs> thirsty? You, know, you want a beer? Yeah, I love a beer. Okay, well, why don't you come in here? It's this much covered, it includes two beer okay perfect I pay the cover I go down I'm like oh no where am I Mm -hmm. I'm in this dingy basement on these ripped leather seats and it smells dusky there's no stage and no no stripper poles or anything I'm like where am I and then uh, this old matron comes up with the silver tray and she hands me this little tiny glass of freaking warm gross beer and I just downed it instantly. So that she brought me the second glass. It was really bad. It was the cheapest, warmest beer I've ever had in my life. Ugh. And then this really, really hot chick in a bikini sat down beside me and was chatting me up. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just trying to get through this beer and figure out what's going on. Yeah. And then she says, you know, i really enjoyed talking to you. I'd like to talk to you some more. And I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. And I'm thinking I'm going to need some more beer because it didn't last very long. And she says, okay, so you accept my services then? And I'm like, mm, kind of like what i I guess like i don't know what her services included like we're just hanging out talking right so i was like yeah i guess whatever i'm just thinking i'd like another beer and so then this matron comes back with a bill on this silver train it was for 560 pounds which is like over a thousand dollars canadian i was like
1: what the hell
0: is this and she said you accepted that young lady's services now it's time to pay up and i'm like whoa you're I do pay, not in in this I place. do not know what this is but now I'm I'm seriously getting alarmed at this point like this is exactly what that old guy warned me about right
2: <laughs> and
0: uh, I said look I don't know what's going on here I'm from Canada I don't know what this is or what what her services entail but I can't even imagine what they would entail I've I've been places already and I know I've got a rough idea what what some services cost and I I've never heard of any Services that you know somebody in a bikini might provide that would cost you know 560 pounds or whatever. So I said, I just like to be on my way. And she said, You're not going anywhere until you pay this bill. And I said, Well, I beg like to differ, I'm definitely gonna go. So I stand up to go, and out walks the biggest freaking dude I've seen. Like this guy was huge, he was probably. Six, 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 eight, probably 260 pounds, not fat. He was shredded. (laughs) And he came over and said, Mate, you're going to pay. And then that's again, black dude, white dude. No, white dude, but like, you don't mess with those guys from London, man. (laughs) They are tough characters. Yeah. And I knew I was in way over my head. So I did some of the fastest fast talking I've ever done in my whole entire life. Oh really? Oh yeah, I was like, look, man, you know, I don't know what's going on here. Uh I apologize for any misunderstanding. I'm not looking for <laughs> trouble here. I don't even have that kind of money on me. Um, I don't know what these services are. I'm really not interested. I just want to be on my way. And he's like, look, the only way you're getting out of here is you're gonna stand in front of this camera and you're gonna empty your pockets. And I was like, "All oh, right, on. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I've only got maybe 40, 50 pounds cash on me. I've got a bit of silver. What I was worried about was my credit cards and stuff. So I kind of sandwiched them in between my driver's license and my PAL, and I took this stuff out and I put it on the tray. And the matron's like, we don't want your silver. And she was just disgusted. She took the cash, and he's like... Yeah. <laughs> So, so, so then I was like, okay, cool. And I grabbed my cards back and put them in my pocket. And he's all like, he's like, all right, mate, just got to make sure you don't have anything else on you. And he gave me a quick little pat down. He's like, all right, beat it. Get out of here kind of thing. And I got out of there. So I only got robbed for about 50, 50, ish pounds
1: or whatever. And I was all just right. happy to escape. Well, it's London. I mean, the beers might've cost 10 pounds a piece. In, sure. Even sure, for sure. a warm one. Yeah, it was, was, <laughs> was still way better than 560 pounds. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. Oh well. True libertarian traveling with silver, You know, you never know when society might collapse. Right. <laughs> but uh, that's that's funny. They didn't they didn't even look at it. They probably didn't know, even know what it was. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and then you, know, you you decided to. Well, h- how were you feeling after that? Oh, I was definitely a little worked up, but
0: I was just so relieved I got out of there without getting beat up or anything. And I mean, at the end of the day, it was a really good lesson because I was warned and I didn't heed the warning and that's the price you pay. Like Mm. you just pay attention, right? That was so obvious. He described it right to a T. (laughs) and it went down exactly the way he said so i was like well you know i guess someone's on me i can't really you know yeah. i'm not gonna fault soho or i was i i was pretty butthurt at the time i went to a pub and i was pretty salty and i had a couple of beer in a safe place but i was i was salty enough nobody wanted to come over and make conversation so then it was my own fault <laughs> no, you know nobody else asked uh, nobody else offered the services no 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 nobody else offered <laughs> the services so so yeah so whatever you know it is what it is and it was a learning a learning thing right. Uh the one thing i would yeah anyway that's that was that it was just whatever <laughs> okay. it, was, it was just yeah okay then uh you decided to go to a church i did i did so that was basically the very so the third day of sightseeing at the end of the day i was a little concerned about this trip And I'm not a religious guy. I was raised around the Catholic, but I'm not a religious guy. And, but I just, I do believe in a higher power or creator or something. I know there's something beyond us that I don't, I don't know how to explain or describe. I just, I know there is Hmm. somehow I've felt it. And so I went to the largest and oldest basilica in all of London. And I literally got down on my knees in front of the main altar. And I asked uh, for protection. I basically, I made a prayer asking for protection Mm. and it it was very heartfelt and I get a little emotional thinking about it mm. but um, I thought it can't hurt and I wasn't glib about it I was very very sincere mm. and I thought you know it is what it is I'm in I'm in it no matter what it's going to be now this trip so but this certainly couldn't hurt so that was the, the kind of the last thing I did and then it was asleep and then we all met at London Heathrow the first thing the next morning
1: well, why do you
0: When do you think you decided to say that prayer? I think that my... It was probably my intuition telling me, like, this is probably a little more serious than you realize, and Mm. you might want to just... I mean, it certainly... I don't know. You know, I don't know what, what really pushed me. It was just... I guess I was looking for any edge I could possibly get because I was
1: really it was i was really taking a chance at this one and i knew it yeah yeah so you you go in the church and kneel by the altar yeah i kind of looked around first like i kind of got a feel for it because i wasn't
0: sure if it was the right one Uh but there was people literally entombed in the walls and the floors like this place is built in the 1600s or something and it was massive absolutely massive and there was definitely a some kind of an energy in there it was hard to describe It was, it was a pretty, something good, pure, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it that way. Just probably something that, that's, that was old and powerful and, and just, I don't know, hard to describe, you know, it wasn't malevolent or, or evil feeling it it felt okay. But just, um, you could tell that a lot of things had kind of gone on in there as far as energy goes. Mm. It was, it felt like a powerful place from an energetic standpoint somehow, Mm. Mm. So it felt to me like it was the right place, mm. and it felt to me like it was the right time to do it and mm. yeah, so I mean that's a that's a crazy thing for me to even do in the first place yes, you know I after my childhood i you know I would basically run out of the house if somebody pulled out a Bible or anything you know, mm. like <laughs> just not into it or going to a church or anything like that I just wasn't into it at all I didn't mm. you know it wasn't I'm still not into religion i I think that. Religion is just another way to bind people to, right. to, you know, like the Latin root religare, to bind or to hold back. Yeah. I think that's what religion is yeah. really for. But I do think that there is a higher power. And I think there is, well, now quantum physics is, has given us a way to access the quantum field with mm. our minds. And scientific studies have been done on that to absolutely prove it beyond the shadow of a doubt. So mm. that does support the theory that there is a higher power,
1: because the higher power is a quantum field, basically hmm yeah that's a fascinating subject looking at yeah yeah it is uh but back to back to your experience so you 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 walk in you feel this kind of ancient or this old energy this powerful place yeah it took a bit like it didn't happen right away it was
0: just like well you know i just kind of immersed myself in the environment for 15 20 minutes and the feeling gets
1: stronger and stronger as i was as i spent more time in there hmm okay yeah, and so so maybe you're sitting in the pew for a while contemplating. No, I was no. just I was wandering around, and, uh-huh. and I
0: kind of had it in my head that I wanted to find a place to to make a prayer, hmm. and but I wasn't really one hundred percent sure. Hmm. So I just kind of you know I wandered around there and kind of soaked it in, hmm. and uh, and yeah, and then when I felt like the time the timing was right, and I
1: felt the urge strongly enough, is when I did it. Hmm. Okay, so you you walk to the altar and kneel. Yeah, and you close your eyes I imagine. Yeah, bowed my head. Yeah. The whole thing. Mm. And yeah. what, what do you? What words. Hands. What are the words? In I your don't mind? remember. It was like a
0: conversation. Like uh, it was like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, a,
0: did you have questions? No. No. It was I was praying? I was asking. I was asking for something. Yeah. And I and I think I was promising something in return too. Like if you know, if I can get through this in one piece, I'll make an effort to you know be a better person and, and pay more attention and whatever I, ju- I just don't remember the exact details but mm. i just remember it felt it just felt really really strong mm. it, felt, okay. it felt like a, it felt like i was heard and it felt like you know there was like a contract of some kind or something you know something on the spiritual level that i can't, can't, can't really explain well
1: All right yeah. so what what is that feeling like it, does that have a name uh, no, like no I, I don't know how
0: i'd label being it being moved yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's hard to it's hard to label it.
1: What does it feel like in, in your body when you remember those moments? It just
0: it brings up emotions because it was kind of an emotional experience and, and because of what happened in the trip because I think that it actually made an impact on the trip, on yes. the outcome.
1: But wouldn't well, if you in hindsight. sit sit up a little. Yeah. <laughs> take it take a deep breath. So, if, if you go back to that moment on the altar, maybe there's some somewhere in your body, like in your, in your belly, in your solar plexus, your heart, maybe even in your shoulders or your head. Is there some somewhere you can feel something?
0: Yeah, just base, basically, my I guess, in my chest area. It yeah. just feels nice.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like warm? Yeah. Or, yeah. Comforting? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. It's like a hug or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're going to be okay.
0: (laughs) Don't worry about it. it. You'll be fine. (laughs) It's good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. When I walked out of there, I I had some comfort. Like, I felt like I'd been heard.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super cool. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. So, all right. So the the next day, the next day we meet up
0: at London Heathrow. So I'd never met these guys in my life. Mm -hmm. And. Yeah, I I'd saw, I'd saw David on Skype and that was it. I'd never met Radic before. Raddick was from the Czech Republic. Hmm. Um, quite a, quite a, quite a figure. He, he was, you know, he could have been a model. He was, he was built like, he was built, well, he was really, really physically well built and a super good looking guy, very articulate. Hmm. And, um, and then David, he was, so radic and i would have been the the ladies men out of the three of us mm. david was you know older but david's you know really well built too. he used to be a weightlifter and stuff like that just right. a shorter guy and had the pretty harsh uk accent and a sense of humor i totally didn't understand but you know it's all good <laughs> sure yeah. just the three of you on the crew that's true no that's true yeah just yeah. the three of us one skipper and two crewmen all right okay and then you you find the boat yeah so we so it was a bit we had uh, a couple or three plane changes to get to seychelles republic seychelles is just north of madagascar it's a it's an island nation uh french speaking we'll see black population probably the most beautiful place on the planet that that i've been to so far turquoise blue waters white sand beaches absolutely stunning uh it was was just the most amazing place ever i'd lugged all my scuba gear with me and that was the first major annoyance of the trip actually i was so annoyed So I had this huge freaking suitcase full of scuba gear because I learned how to dive in Cuba, I don't know, the year, I don't know, like a year before or something. It was Mm. one of my my impromptu trips (laughs) and I got totally hooked on scuba. Mm. And um, so I had it because I thought, you know, it might come in handy, right? You know, if there's a problem with the boat, I can dive it. Mm. But I really wanted to dive Seychelles too because it was just such a... Like, I mean, who goes to Seychelles? Most people never even heard of it. Right. And I could tell by looking at the water when I got there, the visibility would probably be equal to Cuba, and that's where I learned how to dive. And the visibility Mm. in Cuba is absolute insanity. It's so good. It's just, it's one of the best diving destinations, I think, on the planet because of visibility. Um, So there was a day, it was day two or three on the boat when we were, you know, supposedly getting it uh, ready to go. There was really nothing for me to do first thing in the morning. And I talked to these guys the night before that were running the local diving operation, and they said, yeah, we'll be coming by the boat at 8 in the morning, and you can just we'll just pull up on the stern of your yacht and pick you up if you're good to go. And I said, well, I'll clear it with the skipper first because I had to, right? So I asked David in the morning if I could go, and I said, look, it's only a two-hour trip. They'll pick me up right on the boat. They'll drop me off on the boat. There's no way you're going to need me between 8 and 10 in the morning. Like you don't even we don't even know what we're doing yet. You're you're still figuring out supply lists and this and that. We're not going shopping till after eleven or twelve. Like, can I please just go and do this dive? No, no, I want you to stay on the boat because of blah blah blah, some bullshit excuse. And (laughs) so I was pissed. Those guys, I watched them boat by, I had to wave at them while they go went to do their diving thing. And I just sat there for two hours. Mm -hmm. And then watched them come back and then I was salty. Uh, I was yeah. super salty because i was like this is such bullshit i could have gone and it, you know that's one thing to donate my time for this trip and i'm glad i'm here but i could have gone and done this dive and it would have been one of the dives i would have remembered my whole entire life and here i'm sitting here
1: yeah well, so, hopefully you get another opportunity sure so. especially now <laughs> yes <laughs> well i imagine seychelles is probably one of the more open places in the world still <laughs> it's just a matter of getting there yeah, yeah. Uh, So, what what was your first impression when you
0: saw the catamaran? It's a it was a really nice boat. Not the sleek lines that I like. The Lagoon Five Hundred is kind of an ugly boat, in my opinion. It's got it's beautiful inside because of the vertical windows. It gives it a very spacious and, and beautiful apartment like mm. feeling in, inside, but outside that's not a very sleek look (laughs) it has a very boxy look to it okay and so but it was a million it was worth like a million us it was only one year old right so in that regard it was a beautiful boat four Mm. queen-size staterooms all with their own head which means bathroom with their own showers and everything Mm. So we all had lots of privacy. The control station, it had a fly bridge, so the control station's on the very top of the yacht, which is super cool. Sorry, a fly bridge? Fly bridge, yeah, that's just a term we use for a control station that's at the very top of the boat. So okay. a lot of catamarans, they have it on the, the aft section of the yacht, it'll be on either on the port or starboard side. Um, mm. There's not very many that have them on both sides, which can create a problem when you come in and out of harbor because your control station's at the back and on one side. Mm um there's a a newer catamaran that is super 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 high-end very expensive carbon fiber capable of raceboat speeds It has an interesting cockpit layout where it's on the very front of the boat which is very interesting very cool that one's called a gunboat has nothing to do with guns but it's just the name of the yacht okay. really cool boat but this one had it on the very top which is probably i mean it's it's also very good it's just that when you're in a really hot climate, you have to be careful. You get a lot of sun, which is brings me into the, the rotating crew schedule we had, which was super interesting. Hmm. So I literally had a schedule I had to consult with all the time. I still have a copy of it. It was a really neat schedule. But um, in the very hottest part of the day, which is around three, you know, between, say, two and five, the rotation was only one hour. So we were only hmm. on shift for one hour. It was because of the intense heat being out in the middle of the Indian Ocean near the equator. The skipper didn't want anyone getting sunstroke. So our longest shifts were four hours, and our shortest shift was one hour. Hmm. And they rotated. So every day wasn't the same. It was one hour off every day. So if my shift was two in the afternoon... On Wednesday it was three in the afternoon, Thursday, it was four in the afternoon, Friday it rotated one hour every
1: day so that meant but then that, uh, no, eventually the shifts ain into your uh, sleeping time and oh, but they all do okay. yeah okay. because the short, the longest one's four hours yeah and this
0: is part of the thing when you're on that kind of a job it's a delivery job you somebody has to be at watch at all times right that boat has to be under command at all times. Hmm. so we're like when we're out in the middle of the night, we're not stopping sailing we're still the boat's still moving so hmm. somebody has to be on watch. And the reason the shift rotated was so that not one guy was constantly stuck with the two in the morning shift. Oh, you know, okay. Eventually it would rotate so that you got to sleep at two in the morning. Okay. So, you know, that's, that was the purpose of it. It was a very interesting rotation and it, that was something David had come up with. And I I don't remember if he'd learned it from a previous delivery job or what, but it was a really cool way to do
1: it. Hmm. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So, so you set sail and it's it's like a 14 days yeah, we were five sure. days getting the yacht together. Um, we,
0: the third day out was our first near pirate experience where I was absolutely certain we were getting boarded. So we were three days out of Seychelles. I think we, we had one motor fired up at the time because we were starting to lose wind. We still had sails up and a boat that was bigger than ours was on an intercept course for like, we spotted him when he was probably, it took I think it took him an hour to close on us or maybe not quite, maybe half an hour, but Every time we changed course, that boat changed course. It wasn't flying mm-hmm. a flag. It wasn't making any radio contact. There was no sign of crew. It, hey, it was, are you flying a flag? Absolutely. Yeah, so you have I to. So that's, nope, the yacht was registered out of Belgium. Oh, okay. So we had a Belgian flag. All right. um, but that's part of uh, maritime law. It's required that you fly a flag, that your vessel's marked. So the vessel mm-hmm. name is on the vessel. You're flying the flag of registry. Our mm-hmm. yacht was registered out of Belgium. It had an Egyptian owner, but that's another story. And um, mm-hmm. so that uh, that's a requirement. Now, this was a fishing vessel. It was probably a 70-foot vessel, I'm just kind of estimating. And no sign of crew, and it was running way faster than fishing vessels run. Now, fishermen are very conscious about the amount of fuel they burn because fishing is not exactly lucrative. Hmm. So they don't run around at full speed. Yeah, This one was running at full or a lot faster than they typically run. Constantly changing course to intercept us. No visual sign of crew, no radio contact, no flag. So that is a that's a pirate boat. Yeah. Um, so the skipper had me on the fly bridge, pretending to call a NATO on a sat phone that we had no coverage on at the time because we were out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. well yeah. We were roughly seven hundred nautical miles offshore at the time, and um, when it finally closed on us, close enough to where they could launch high speed skiffs and come come for us. Right about the same time. By coincidence, I'm sure a ship twice the size of theirs came up on our radar, 16 nautical miles off our position, right when I was pretending to call them into NATO. They, we turned, we basically took the sail down, the bull sails down, started up the other engine, basically did a 180 and, and made a run for it. Not quite a 180 because they were sort of behind us, but we, we ran. They were cl- really close to us within, you know, 150 yards and we made a run for it now they would have all ran us very easily you know the, this thing we were on is not a very fast boat hmm. and um and they obviously caught up to us so they had a faster boat obviously right
2: hmm.
0: now they stopped in the middle of the ocean which is what they would typically do they typically would stop and launch high speed skiffs and come for you with those but the skiffs- how, how did you know that well, I didn't know that at the time. Arthur. I was guessing at the time because I'm like, how are they going to board from that thing? It's it's way higher than our boat, so yeah. like they must have a smaller boat they're going to launch. Okay. And it was yeah. verified, in, in when I got into Oman, that got verified. Mm. So, anyways, what, what? However, to this day, I don't understand the mechanics of what happened, but they were stopped, literally stopped in the middle of the ocean,
1: yeah.
0: and and we made a run for it and they didn't get their boat turned around to come after us and they were just stalled there they were just stopped they were just totally stalled out no sign of crew no nothing like we were watching them with binoculars the whole entire time until they were out of sight and they didn't move because we were watching them on radar as well Um, we had our reflector down but we had our radar up we we were using our radar to figure out what was around us for collision avoidance so we had taken the radar down before the trip or the reflector pardon me so, just to try and stay off of their radar, but we were using our own to avoid other ships. Mm. So, yeah, so, so anyway, so the skipper said, look, the trip's over. I'm not risking our lives for this. I mean, that was a close call. I'm sure those were pirates. Um, we're heading back to Seychelles. This isn't worth the money, right? So we wow. were about four hours underway. I was trying to get some sleep. I was laying down, um, you know, in my, in my berth and I felt the yacht change direction. Mm so i'm like okay what's going on so right away i pop up and i i just i didn't even say anything i walked straight over to the compass and looked at the compass and i looked at the skipper and said what's going on we've changed direction well you know i was thinking if we if i take us further out to sea you know maybe maybe take us out to 11 1200 nautical miles offshore there should not be any pirates that fire out in the middle of the indian ocean i think we'll be safe and instead of going straight for, for uh Yemen,
1: yeah, I think we'll 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 swing wide and we'll go into Oman. Okay. Well, hold on. So, when he said, uh "Well, let's just you know, let's let's call it off," I imagine you felt relieved. Like, yeah, I was because I was absolutely certain we were getting
0: bored I was I was sure of it. I'm like, that's and I was swearing my head off. I'm like, this is effing bullshit. We're getting bored. I don't have any of my guns. Like. You know, right. I've, I've got all these guns in Canada. I wasn't allowed to bring a single one. And I right. wanted to, I asked, that's,
1: that's the thing you said, cause it's flying the Belgian flag. You have to follow Belgian laws. So no, yep, no, yep. no and, and none of, and we were all different nationalities. Mm-hmm.
0: David was UK, Radic was Czechoslovakian. and I'm Canadian. The, the yachts flagged Belgium and we're on our way to Egypt with it. So <laughs> it would not have worked. It just legally speaking, it
1: would have been an absolute nightmare. So yeah. it was just impossible. So, so, okay. So I imagine then you, you were kind of, um, had mixed emotions because you, on one hand, you were relieved, like, okay, we'll, go, we'll get back to seashells, no pirates, right? We'll, we'll be safe. But right. on the other hand, you're like, well, I'm missing out on an adventure. Like, this is what I i, I came to do. Move At the this. time that it happened, yeah, I was there was so much adrenaline and frustration
0: for knowing I couldn't properly defend myself and knowing we were getting boarded because I was absolutely convinced we were getting boarded hmm. when we did get boarded. I was relieved that, it, that we didn't get boarded, but. You know, I knew that it was only a matter of time. If it had already happened three days out, it was probably going to happen. Right. And so when he decided we were heading back out to sea, again, I just, I knew because it's not my decision, right? And I know I have to go along with this decision. He's the captain and I have a role to play and I knew what my role was and I knew I that's, that's what I'd signed up for. So it was just, okay. And I, I knew in my head, <laughs> I knew in my head, I'm like, you know, this guy's thinking about the contract and he doesn't want to miss out on the contract. Sure. He is trying to, to keep us safe, so he, you know, he's not being reckless, but he's thinking about the money, and yes. he's thinking that he does want it. Because I didn't understand at the time, but he had a personal relationship with the owner. That when the owner had bought the yacht brand new out of France, I believe David had helped sail it on its a maiden voyage. Hmm. He was, he was. I think he was a crewman on that on the maiden hmm. voyage, or maybe he was the skipper. But I think he was crew. So he had a personal relationship with the owner, and I think he just really wanted to complete the mission. So that that was a decision, and I didn't say anything about it. I was like, okay, that's a decision. I guess you know the adventure continues. But I was very apprehensive at that time because I mm-hmm. knew that there was. I just didn't have a way to properly defend myself. We didn't yeah. really have a sharp knife between us on that. Bit, right? So. <laughs> Were you afraid? I was a. I was definitely apprehensive and nervous. I don't yeah. know if afraid probably isn't the right word because it's uh-huh. just. It's like, it's like doing a cliff drop of the mountain slide. You don't really have time to be afraid. I guess there is more time on a yacht, but it's just like you're in the, you're in it and you're just kind of in the zone and you just right. sort of deal with it. Or at least that's,
1: that's how I am. Okay. I just sort of yeah, deal with I, it. I picture it a bit like... Well, maybe before you go on stage, you might have stage fright. But when you get you get up on stage, well, this I'm here. (laughs) This is what I'm gonna do. You know, when when I thought we were getting boarded, I wasn't even afraid.
0: I was I was super nervous. I had a ton of adrenaline, and I was more pissed off than anything because I was like, I can't even put up a good fight. We're just Hmm. gonna get boarded and taken in, and that's gonna end it's gonna freak me out and it's probably gonna be scary but i'd feel way better if i could just at least put up a fight you know and mm. at the very least you know yes. just to how i'm wired i just what you know i just don't want to just give up like just oh you got me i guess i'm going to somalia to get ransomed or whatever like i'd, just, <laughs> I'd rather fight it out you know <laughs> anyways that's that's a romantic way to look at it because at the end of the day even if i had to brought a handgun they usually have um a, they they usually know they use ak-47s rocket and yes. grenade launchers i mean it just would have been a massacre
1: so yes. it's probably
0: for the best that i didn't have a handgun. <laughs> <laughs> or a shotgun so, right
1: right yeah okay all right so so you you have your apprehensions but you're like well he's the skipper so, that's I, right. so I accept yeah so so off we
0: go we went out to 1158 nautical miles offshore which is roughly 2000 kilometers or maybe a hair better oh and by the way what what did radic think about the decision same thing you know it's just, oh, yeah. well, it is what it is you know oh, yes. same same mentality as i had just this is what we signed up for so it mm. is what it is you know we Radek and I did a lot of push-ups <laughs> we did a lot of push-ups and a lot of crunches on that trip All
1: right, um, to let, let out the stress
0: yeah that, and just to be more physically prepared if we had to get into some kind of physical altercation I think or yeah. just whatever just yeah probably mostly to deal with stress Just mm. so, so we swung super wide we kind of made a wide out arc out in the middle of the Indian Ocean there was one cool thing that happened before we got into Oman you know, the port town of Salalaha in Man, which is we had a bit of a a gear failure or no what was it no maybe that's when we decided to take the radar reflector down maybe we hadn't had it down yet i think maybe that's what it was and so david had sent Raddick up to the top of the mouse to take the reflector down it would it, no 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 it wasn't that it was no there was something to do with a the line there was some line had screwed up and he had to go up there to retrieve it i just don't remember the details now but it, it was something that was necessary it was some something had happened with the line, and he had to go to the top of the mast to re-thread it or or untangle it or some something. I just don't remember. Um, but anyway, so because we're out in the middle of the Indian Ocean, the middle of nowhere, there was zero wind, so we shut the engines off. We were stationary while Radic went up to the top of the mast. I was a little jealous because I wanted to go up there. But David said, "Don't worry, I'll get your chance. There'll be another screw up that'll happen. I'll send you <laughs> up there." So Radic goes up in the his chair, gets the job done, comes down, and it was so hot, like so hot. We're just sweating, right? David said, okay, we're gonna have a little fun before we resume. He says, um, here's the rule, when anyone's gonna hop off of the yacht for a swim, we always put a line in the water and it's like at least a 100 foot line, if not a 200 foot line, it trails behind because there's always a bit of current and you don't wanna just get swept off and not be able to get back to the yacht. So this way, you have something you can grab onto and pull yourself back to the yacht, but we're gonna go for a swim. But it's only one guy off of the yacht at a time. The other two guys have to be on board and it's one guy off at a time. And once he's boarded back, then the next guy goes. So we were literally launching ourselves off of the coach roof and diving into this, like it just looked super black. Cause it was like, I don't remember how deep but it was like the deepest part of the Indian ocean. I think we were darkly over and it was wow. so freaky. Cause you'd, the water was warm at the top, but when you dove and I do dive as deep as I could, cause it was fun and I'd get so freaked out because it was so dark looking and I'd imagine like some big sea monster coming up and swallowing (laughs) me whole so I'd just arc and I'd swim as hard as I could and just hop up, like jump out out of the surface like a little dolphin or something, you know Mm. and and then, you know, swim really hard to get back on it and then jump off again because it was just super fun and and scary at the same time and so that was a little cool thing we got to do before we got into Oman. And then, yeah, 12 right. days later, we end up in the port of, of Oman in Slaloha. Right. Or Salalah in the port of Oman. Anyways, you know what I mean. It was the port town of Salalah in Oman, right. which is the Middle <laughs> East. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that was super cool. David was running the yacht in there because um, that's their st- standard procedure. The skipper always drives the yacht into port because it's, you know, technical and whatever. And this is a million-dollar boat. And um, so, yeah, that was a cool experience. We, we ended up going to the Hilton because it's a dry country. It's a Muslim country, and we really wanted to drink. So Radic <laughs> and I went to the Hilton to party, and the HMS Cumberland, the frigate warship frigate HMS Cumberland was in town, and they were all in there partying. So that's when I got to find out more about Pirate Alley. The other thing that happened <laughs> in Oman of Interest was... So before the the party at the Hilton, we went to this this sailor, it's like a sailor bar or whatever, where we could could check our emails and whatever. That was the very first thing we did when we got into town. And the skipper said that he wanted to stay with the yacht to check the engines and do some things, but he really needed to get an email off to a commander with the Royal British Fleet. And the email was basically very, very brief, and it was just a notification saying we were going to be entering their NATO patrolled safety corridor for Pirate Alley. Hmm. So... So I followed his instructions, and I added just a tiny bit of my own flair. It was like, on behalf of my skipper, David Warrens, uh, I've been instructed to send the following email, and then it was exactly the way he worded it, Mm -hmm. and then I signed my name, whatever, to it, sent it off, and I was just on uh, Facebook and whatever, notifying friends and family I was still alive, and everything was okay. (laughs) 45 minutes later, I get a return email that was 17 pages in total. The first page was basically kind of a short, basically, in layman's terms, what the hell are you guys doing in this area this is not for pleasure craft this is a very dangerous part of the world mm. the following 16 pages were the documented pirate activity for the previous nine months in that area and oh, wow. that's when i found out how serious it was
1: oh. <laughs> and
0: i also found out all of their pirate tactics because it was all there uh-huh. all of the every single incident was well documented what the tactics were whether they successfully boarded or not whether the crew was successfully ransomed lots of them were taken to somalia to be ransomed lots of boats way bigger than ours so they don't tell you this in sailing monthly no (laughs) i did not read this in any of the sailing subscriptions i had and i had at least three subscriptions to major Major sailing (laughs) magazines that's a very very good observation okay that's what i knew i was like oh shit yeah this is serious
1: you're in too far to to and then and then it was i
0: think the next night or we were there it was between three and five days so it was either the next night or the night after we ended up over at the hilton partying with members of the hms frigate frigate cumberland and i got to talk to some of the officers and i said what are your rules of engagement and that's when they explained well we're not even allowed to fire on them unless we're fired on first and i'm like oh that's ridiculous i said okay well this is about pirates so i said what about if they come after us and they told me If you manage to to get a hold of us and contact us before you're boarded, we will typically send a helicopter. If we're close enough, we'll launch high-speed skiffs with Marines. Um, And if we can get there before they board you, we'll do what we can to scare them off. Okay. But if you get boarded, you're going to Somalia, and there's nothing we can do. That's, that was the rules of engagement. It's totally ridiculous. I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, this is stupid. Like, they're pirates. Just sank them to the bottom of the ocean. That's what they deserve. <laughs> right? Blow yes. them up. And then I, I started doing some digging around and learned that the Russians had sunk one boat. And the French were really no bullshit. They had literally taken... Um, French commandos, they had successfully boarded a boat that had been taken over by pirates that had their nationals on, recovered their nationals, killed some pirates in the process, reclaimed the boat, and in another instance had actually gone over to Somalian territory because the government just threw up its hands and said, look, we, we don't have the resources to deal with this, just come on over, you've got our permission." You know, you can, you can access our soil. And literally the French sent over commandos in a helicopter, stormed a pirate hangout, shot some of them, grabbed some of them and uh, recovered their nationals and just choppered out of there like heroes. So, you know, the French at the time in this, this range in time, which is uh, to the very, very end of 2008. Well, they were they were really like i mean that that, that had a lot of respect on my end how they handled it same with the hmm. russians there was the russians took some flag, they're like oh those poor innocent fishermen and, and people are trying to, <laughs> to say the russians were evil people for sinking this fishing boat but it, you know it was ripping around at high speed with no flag no radio you know they weren't fishing and the russians aren't the russians are pretty intelligent people and especially yeah. the, the warfaring Russians. If they sunk it, it was for a good reason. They didn't just sink a fish, a a boat full of innocent fishermen. It was a pirate boat, guaranteed. Like Mm. I mean, I can say that with ninety-nine point nine percent certainty. Yeah, yeah. So this is just yeah, it's just a quick example of you know, (laughs) just me learning about how deep. Sure.
1: So then you're you're still in Oman and you and you're thinking like, okay, so this is really serious. Really serious. Yeah. But you're coming back. Yeah. Can I turn back? We're right in the middle of the trip now. <laughs> you know, we're halfway there. Could you have, like, just booked a flight and going back to BC? I wouldn't have, though. I just, <laughs> Why it, not? Because
0: that, to me, would have been a coward's way out. We were already halfway through. We'd already had You don't want encounter. to abandon your new flight. I didn't want to abandon crewmates. the crew. I didn't want yeah. to abandon the, the mission. I, I was committed. You know, I would to. You know, I was like, screw it. I'm in this deep. I'm going to finish it. I don't, whatever happens, happens, but I'm going to finish this out. I have to. I would have, I would have regretted it for the rest of my life if I had a chicken dough and just gone back home.
1: Wow. Yeah. And I knew that. Yeah. So I toughed it up. <laughs> really glad I did. <laughs> yeah. But, so you, you sent sail from a month?
0: Yeah. So we, so the next port was the port town of Aden in the Gulf of Aden in Yemen and that is a very dangerous place the very first thing i bought when we got there so to paint the scene like it's a very very poor town a lot of most of the streets are gravel dust dirt we're driving while well, we're in a taxi and we're going down one of them and, the, and i'm like what are those guys chewing there's this bales of like dried plants just laying in the freaking dirt and these guys are grabbing chunks and just chewing and they had their, their cheek was sticking way out like a chipmunk just on one side hmm. I'm like, what are they chewing? And it's called CAT, K-A-T. Hmm. And it's a drug the government drops off to keep the people basically completely docile. And the look hmm. in their eyes when they're chewing this, I'll never forget it as long as they live. It's like they're not even there. It's just a vacant stare. And they just hmm. sit there like a cow chewing its cud. They just sit there chewing this stuff and they just sit there in the dirt. <laughs> it's it, It's a really freaky thing a really freaky thing and the other freaky thing and, and this was old man too which is a little unsettling because just because you're not used to it right now not used to the culture but you know when it's prayer time and the loud speakers from the mosque start blaring and people are whipping mats out and they've got their butts in the air and they're bowing to the east on the with their faces to the ground and whatever and mm-hmm. The, the, the prayers are you know in an islamic or arabic language i don't understand it's just unnerving but you know you kind of okay well that's that's just where i am right just get used to it because that's that's the landscape
1: okay so well <laughs> all right that's funny because when i've been like in malaysia or bangladesh and i hear the call to prayer i'm like oh that's that's lovely it's like these these songs in arabic saying stuff like come in come and worship god and to you know come show your respect to the divine and these things nice uh uh to me it's it's moving but i guess it's a different context <laughs> especially when you've
0: got pirates on your mind right yeah, and one yeah. of the things i learned in old man which was quite unsettling was that because i was like well what where are they getting these weapons from like how are they where are they like i mean these poor, poor people how are this it doesn't make any sense to me and I was told they were being financed out of Saudi Arabia. Now I don't have mm. any proof of that, but clearly they were being financed out of somewhere because you don't just AK forty sevens and RPGs just don't fall out of the sky. Like they have to they have to be purchased with money and same with ammunition and gasoline for the boats and all that stuff. It doesn't just all get mm. stolen, right? Yeah. To board the very first vessel, like the story is oh, they were just these poor fishermen that whose area got fished out and, you know, they had no choice as far as making a living goes. They had to turn to piracy. I think that's a bunch of BS. <laughs> I think that it was that's, that somebody that was into organized crime basically came up with an idea of how to make a bunch of money. Sure. And, um, yes, absolutely, there was a bunch of poor fishermen that were p- really hard up for money, and they were easily hired. And I think that right. they were hired with money, and they were provided with arms and boats. And, of course, yep. boats that they could steal, they could then turn into pirate boats and, and use, you know, and continue on. On. One yeah. of the ships they stole was a Ukrainian freighter full of, like, tanks and weapons and all kinds of stuff. Like, it wow. was really crazy. And they managed to capture that ship.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So then you, you sent sail from Yemen? So, yeah. So after Aden, which was a super interesting place, by the way, I found the people there are surprisingly friendly. Like, the ones that I met at a coffee shop or whatever okay. and uh, whatnot. So, yeah. So we were want to say we were only a day we slept out of there in the middle of the night no lights no nav lights on no radar on whatever because it was such a heat score hmm. being there with a fancy sailboat it was like a lot of eyes on <laughs> okay so we slipped out of there at like two three in the morning okay. right to avoid attention yeah. and i don't recall how far away we got before we had our second pirate encounter it wasn't very far i think it was a day hmm. and it happened uh just as it was turning to from daylight to dark and that's like they never had a successful boarding attempt at night for some reason that was what i'd read in the uh Hmm. in the briefing okay and that time um they used their tactic of jamming the emergency channel 16 on the vhf radio with rap music that's a total pirate tactic so that was our first clue that we were in major trouble same thing You remember what the song was No, and I, and I wouldn't have recognized it. It was in a different language. So, but same thing, high speed intercept. Um, they stopped to launch skiffs and it was the type of boat that had skiffs on it and they got really close to us before they stopped. Um, meanwhile, we called NATO. We actually had service on the sat phone. We said, "Hey, we're in major trouble here. This is our location. Please send a, an attack helicopter or something. We're about to get boarded." Mm. Again, I was absolutely certain we were getting boarded. There was no question in my mind. I'm like, "They're jamming channel sixteen with rap music. They're they're coming after us. We're getting boarded for sure." We called NATO, so I thought we might might have a chance. Maybe they'd come and defend us. We were in their corridor, and again, by some miracle that I cannot even begin to explain, their boat stopped completely. It, the, the day turned into night, which it does quite aggressively in that part of the world. It's, it's not like a long, gradual process. It's light and it's dark, basically. And we had <laughs> everything shut off, and we slipped away with the sails down and both engines on and made a run for it. And we just somehow slipped away in the night. Wow. Yeah. And I, to this day, cannot explain how.
1: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So... <laughs> So in your mind is, I mean, are these miracles because they sound like miracles. To this day, I get a little bit of a shiver down my spine. My hair just did the
0: tingly thing where when I think about this sort of thing and I think they probably were miracles. Yeah, I really do because just reading the documented pirate activity in those 16 pages for the previous nine months alone and just knowing what part of the world we're in and how easy our boat was to board. I mean, we were just the easiest targets you can imagine you know it would have been so easy to board us and capture the sailboat i mean it's not a high value target to them they're usually after multi-million dollar ships but our mm. boat was no slouch it was still a million dollar boat and u.s yes. funds and, and three guys that they could ransom
1: yes so what, what does it look like when day just turns to night like that what it's, it it's it's cool
0: that it's just it. when you're close to the equator now we were north of the equator by then but keep in mind this trip did involve an equator crossing and it is it's fairly rapid like it, it you know it it's not like in Canada where, you know, the North country where I'm from, you know, in the middle of the summer, it doesn't even get dark till like 1130 at night, you know, it's mm. basically six to six is equator hours. And mm. yeah, it just, yeah, it's once the sun dips below the horizon, it's dark. Yeah. It's, it's neat. It's kind of, it's different, right? For a northern, a northern <laughs> a Canadian freaking. guy, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. different, but it, it can work to your advantage.
1: <laughs> so what what were you thinking? I mean, the, the, the pirates just like, well, it, it, it becomes night and you think, well, I'm safe. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think we were safe
0: until like three, four hours later. Once it once three or four hours had passed, I was like, okay, we got away. But it's those three or four hours, the anxiety is really high, the nerves are really, really high. You could still see them in
1: the distance. No 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 no. Like
0: once it once it once it turned the night once it turned into night, and like I said, they were stopped. And we were both engines on it like pretty much wide open throttle to try and get some distance. Just hoping for the best. We've got NATO on the phone. We're constantly up, up, updating them with our position. And we just slipped away. And to this day, I can't explain how. But I was absolutely certain we were getting bored. I was certain.
1: Mm. So what do you feel in the, in, uh, after you realize the risk is gone? Relief, of course. Like a <laughs> man's relief. And knowing that we're getting
0: closer and closer to safety because we're approaching the Suez Canal. And I know once we hit Egypt, we're going to be safe. Hmm.
1: Did you feel the same comfort you felt in the Basilica?
0: No, because adrenaline's way too high. <laughs> sure. Way too high. You need to be a little more calmer yeah. to, exactly. to feel that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that wasn't the last time in the trip I had that kind of adrenaline. So, so you know, things calmed down. Okay, we got away from the second year boarding or whatever. Then we get into the Red Sea, and lo and behold, we got caught in a state storm in the middle of the night. The port side lazy jack becomes uncleated with the sail, the mainsail on the third reef, which means a third of the mainsail, which is the biggest sail on the boat, is in the lazy jack, which is essentially a, a cradle that holds it. What I mean when I say the sail is reefed, it means we reduce the sail area because of the high winds, so that the sail doesn't become damaged or the rig doesn't tear off of the boat. And in a force eight, a force eight storm is a pretty aggressive, fairly aggressive storm. And that particular storm, just because of the way the Red Sea is long and narrow and north south facing. We, that night, we were literally surfing down waves that were probably 40 feet, mm. and that boat typically typically averaged around 6 to 7 knots boat speed. That night, we hit 15.8 knots surfing down one of those waves, and maybe it was a 60-foot wave, I don't know. Was, I, I honestly, to this day, it's hard to figure out like how deep those waves are, because you'd, you'd crest over the top of a wave, but then you'd sail into this really deep trough, and I just remember hitting the bottom of these troughs and looking up. And trying to figure out how how far down we were, but it looked like the sea was like level with the top of the mast. And the mast on that thing's gotta be seventy feet tall. Yeah. Like So it was just <laughs> insanity. Like you look at it, it's just like this massive wall of water, as tall as the mast on either side of the boat when you hit the bottom of the trough and it right. was just the
1: most freaky thing. And then it's like a scene from Moby Dick or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just some crazy thing that I can't begin to describe. And and what had happened so because this mainsail is trying to detach itself from the boat I, I was actually on my berth at the time it wasn't i wasn't on shift i was trying to sleep but the sea was way too insane to try to get any rest and then it makes a sound the waves that slapped the underbelly of the yacht and it would just make this huge boom and it would just send vibrations through the whole entire yacht including my bed that's just impossible to sleep but they're yelling like Monty, do you want to get up here we need you right now and so I scramble up to the, to the top where they are. Raddock was steering the boat and David's trying to wrestle this, this mainsail down that is now trying to detach itself from the boat because the cradle isn't holding it anymore. So we've got to simultaneously somehow we've got to, we've got to contain the third of the mainsail. It's now flapping in the wind like a horizontal flag. We have to drop the rest of the sail, but now there's no bag to drop it into and it's going to aggravate the situation. So we've got to try and figure out both these situations, we didn't have time to put on even a life jacket, let alone a, a safety harness or a lifeline. Mm-hmm. So we could have been knocked overboard very easily. And the wind was technically behind us at the time, which meant that there was a high possibility of jibing the boat, which basically, in, in those terms, means that we could get hit by the boom. There was no boom preventer to prevent it from hitting us. And if the boom had to hit us, we would have been knocked overboard and lost at sea forever because there's just no way radic could have recovered us on his own in wow. those kind of seats. It would have been impossible. And he almost did jibe the boat multiple times, and I remember like screaming at him, like "Quit effing watching us and watch your effing instruments, because you're almost jiving the boat and you're going to knock us overboard." And I'm literally yelling at him, right?
1: <laughs> which was the
0: captain's job, but my life is now on the line too, and he's not doing it, so now I'm doing it. <laughs> so um, David was in agreement. Well, he did. He, oh, I mean, he, he was just too focused on uh-huh. the job at hand, which was sure. wrestling the sail down. Yeah, and we were literally <laughs> physically wrestling like a wild tiger of a sail and trying to just like bunch it up and lash it to the boom, which is what we ended up doing. But we're in the middle of a force, eight storm surfing down like 40, 50 foot waves or whatever they were and lashing wrestling it down was one thing. And then lashing it to the boom was a whole another ordeal. It took us an hour, but after an hour of like, it's just the most strenuous work you can imagine and most exhilarating and terrifying and like, is this guy going to jog the freaking boat and get us knocked overboard or are we going to make it kind of thing we finally get this thing lashed to the boom the foresails furled we've we've got both engines on for the maximum amount of control and that was it that was that was that now we're motoring now when the situation was done i was immensely relieved but radic was really really upset with me about yelling at him and actually wanted to fight me after we're still in this freaking storm, right and i'm just looking at him in disbelief i'm like we just survived something that could have killed at least two of us and then you would have been on your own and probably would have had a tough go of it too because the rig would have self-destructed. And now you want to physically fight because your feelings are hurt? Like, <laughs> I was just in disbelief. I, I literally laughed at him. And I was just like, man, if you even try it, I'm going to throw you off of this boat. I'm going to throw you <laughs> overboard. And you will be lost at sea. So just put it out of your mind. I don't want to fight, but I'm not putting up with any of your shit either. Was, you know, I was just like, literally like, wow, like, how is this even possible? So right. it, it did blow over. And the next day things, well, he was pretty salty for a few days, but he got sure. over it okay
1: yeah. <laughs> all right we gotta, we gotta wrap this up so you you finally you arrive in Alexandria
0: yeah well yeah just to kind of wrap it up we got into Sharm El Sheikh we spent a few days there which is really awesome I finally got to use my diving equipment and that is one of the premier diving destinations on the planet I got my first night dive in I did a few day dives so it was a really nice experience. It didn't quite make up for not getting to dive Seychelles, but <laughs> I was still happy to do it. And rather, I mean, pardon me, the skipper, David Warrenson, told me, we're going to stop here for a few days. You're going to dive. You're going to enjoy yourself. and You're going to decompress because I know how stressful that trip was on you. <laughs> and so I did, and I was grateful. And then we sailed the Suez Canal. And that's another one for the record books. To get to do a trip that includes an equator crossing and the Suez Canal in one go is unheard of and mm. sailing terms like most people sail their whole entire lives and never get to do that <laughs> right. and the destination was the Mediterranean Sea and Alexandria yeah Alexandria Egypt <laughs> and the Mediterranean so the amount of different ocean- oceanic bodies that we crossed the equator the Suez Canal it was an absolutely epic trip um, when, totally- was there a moment when you realized oh well was safe. Sharm like El Sheikh. Sharm El Sheikh. That was Sharm El Sheikh. Okay. Yeah, Sharm El Sheikh, Egypt went, and that's when the owner finally showed up and got on board because now the, all the danger's over. His life isn't in danger anymore, like, which is why he hired a, a crazy crew to sell the boat, right? I mean, why risk his own life? He owns a million dollar boat. So we get it into Egypt and he's Egyptian, that's when he shows up and then he was on the boat with us for the rest of the trip, which was all the easy stuff, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, so. so and he and, was happy. And then the last, like minor salty thing that I'm still a little bit, I'm still a little like chagrined about is um, he was kind of a cheat guy and so when, so like Egyptians they they have to be bribed, like all Egyptian officials pretty much I'm sure, or most of them expect some sort of a bribe, so When we were clearing customs, he didn't give them the customary bribe. Mm. And therefore, we couldn't get off of the yacht. They made us stay on the yacht for the last 24 hours we were in Egypt. Well, not Mm. the last 24 hours, but the 24-hour window I had to go see the pyramids. And I really wanted to go see the pyramids. Mm. Because he didn't give them the bribe to expedite us getting off of the yacht, they held us on there an extra 24 hours. I missed my opportunity to see the pyramids. Uh, The only thing I got that was left to do... There was enough time to go get a hotel room for one night because the skipper was also kind of cheap. It had big roaches in it and stuff. It was (laughs) a nasty (laughs) ass room. And then, so that was my... my memoirs of Egypt, and then the next day we we took a taxi to the airport. It was like an hour long drive. The cab was worth probably about one hundred and fifty dollars, and I think the fare was about that much. So it was like the <laughs> fare, or maybe the fare was seventy five bucks, and the car was worth like one hundred and fifty. I could maybe literally, I could, I could, that. I could have put my hand in between the, the door frame of the car and the roof, like I could <laughs> see like an inch of room there. And there was a gas leak, and the fumes were so bad. i thank God I was in the passenger front seat, so I could stick my head out the window. <laughs> but Radik and the skipper David were in the back seat and the gasoline fumes are so bad they were almost puking back there. <laughs> and then we get to the airport because it's not done yet right and i bought some swords in uh i think it was yemen and they were in the suitcase and this this uh airport official he's like oh you have swords in your in your suitcase and you this is a big no-no and you can't have that and i'm like bullshit oh, i already looked at that. i already know all the regulations they're fine and he's like no 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 come and sit here and he's like so he's kind of like nudge nudge wink, sure. wink he's giving me like the <laughs> obvious wink wink elbow nudge and I'm like, go get your supervisor right now. I was so done in yeah. Egypt at that point. I was so mad about not seeing the pyramids and stuff and all the other annoyances. I was like, I was not having it. I was mad. All I was right. like, nope,
1: get your supervisor. And then he's just like, okay, he threw in the towel and he's like, just go. <laughs> so, but here's the good news. You know, you got out with your life. Out, not only
0: did I, I got out with my life. I got out with the experience. I got out with an amazing story. I got out with a letter of recommendation accommodation from the skipper who told me, I would sail with you anywhere in the world, anytime, in any sea condition, and he. So he literally. <laughs> pirate would, condition. Well, I, I said, you know what? He said, "Would you do this trip again?" I said, "No, I think once is good." You know, yeah. I, I made pirate. I did pirate alley once. I why well, push it? You know, why well, push my luck? Yeah. And my dream has always been to circumnavigate the globe, which I haven't done yet. But it, it, when I finally get around to doing it, I'm not going to do pirate alley. LA <laughs> <laughs> once, once is good.
1: Yeah, yeah. he's, yeah. uh, here's a question. Uh, all right this might this might sound a little unusual oh, what is the, the there is some kind of link here between putting putting your life in the hands of the skipper and putting your life in the hands of God do you want to comment on that
0: well i would say I've never thought of it that way but if if you want to word it in the way that that I was putting my hands in or my life in the hands of God, mm. then I would attribute the skipper being a vessel of God. Mm. Because because at the end of the day, he's just a man. Yes. If you want to talk about a higher power or, or a creator or a God or, or the God or however you want to put it in your head, the quantum field, whatever it is, whatever that thing is that most of us, anybody I think that really truly – has the ability to use logic and reason. I don't think there's any way to describe it accurately. I think it's so beyond our comprehension that there's no point in even trying to label it, but whatever, whatever it is, that force would have directed the skipper in such a way mm. that it would have, that would have, that would have been part of my protection. Right. right. That
1: idea he had to go further out to see. Well, what, what about this though? Let's, well, let me, let's look at it in a different way. What about? I mean, the same trust that you you had in in the skipper. Do you think you have that same trust in other aspects of your life? Like since then. That is
0: a that's a really awesome question. I this is this is such a cool conversation. Not not for me sharing the stories. I've shared it more times than I could ever recount. But yeah. That really makes me think, and I love that. That that's what I'm going to take away from this interview or this this story for being. So thank you for that question. Hmm. I'm going to reflect on that. That's a really really deep question because I think maybe that's what's missing in my life right now. Hmm. I think that that I've been like a bull in a china shop, and I haven't been tuned into the quantum field. And it seems to me. Like people keep getting placed in front of me, like Mm. right now, like how you're in front of me and you've just asked this Mm. and it feels like, and this isn't the first time it's happened even in the last week or Mm. two weeks. It's already been like three times in the last two weeks. It's getting very, very, that there's a pattern here Mm. and I get such a strong feeling that, that it's the quantum or the creator that's talking through somebody to me and saying, what about the, you know, maybe this is what, or not maybe, (laughs) Basically, you're you. This is what is wrong right now. This is why you're not achieving what you want to achieve because you're not connected and you're not communicating. I keep sending you messages and you're not hearing them. Then you need to pay attention. That's what I get from that. From what you just asked me, that's exactly that's that's the message I'm getting. So thank you. That's (laughs) that's that's really awesome.
1: You you're a man of great faith in many aspects. um, All right. The the other question is. Uh, when you were in the basilica, you kind of made that oath, saying you you would be a better I person. I so did. And and do you I, think I, you achieve that? I, I
0: think I really do, honestly and truly and deeply believe that I've made tremendous personal advancements. Despite that, and I, I and I can admit this, and it's that's that's part of being honest and being a good person. And I've always been an honest person. I've always been honest to a fault. Even hmm. um, I have a lot of work to do. A lot of work. But I have made tremendous gains. There's no question. But I yeah. also have a long way to go. Yeah. So I can appreciate yeah. that I've come a long way. And I've, I've definitely grown as a human being. And my consciousness has expanded. Despite maybe losing a bit of connection here and there to source. Which I'm definitely going to be making a massive effort to, mm. to gain back now. But as a human being and as, as somebody with what I would consider a high level of ethics. I think I've made massive strides but i also have a massive way to go it seems like the more i learn the more i realize i don't
1: know sure well well, that's good that humility But remember my suggestion about well i guess the suggestion would be uh yeah you're a self-demanding person auto-exigent person uh be patient with yourself you know Yeah, you don't have to get it all right.
0: You know, right away. what's so cool is one of the one of the closest friends I've made just in the, in this last five months here in Mexico is Dan Ford, and mm. he is giving me the exact same advice. He's like, mm. you got to slow down to go faster, and you've got to be easier on yourself, and you've got to you've just got to take some time and just chill out, just meditate, just be quiet, just let it come to you. Just mm. quit trying to force things and tr- tr- quit trying to go so fast and quit trying to you know do more than you're maybe ready to do right now. And yeah. is just basically what comes down to my trading and whatnot, like my market, my market mm-hmm. stuff, which I've been, you know, self-taught for the last few years. And it's been mm-hmm. self teaching yourself how to trade markets, especially, especially high leverage or, <laughs> you know, futures or, you know, any kind of derivatives trading stock options is very, very tough. Like I, yes. should, have, I should have had a mentor right from the very, <laughs> right from the very start. And I can tell you that my, my self-directed education has been one of the most expensive. anybody could possibly imagine
1: sure well as long as you learn the lessons it will be money well spent yeah yeah yeah
0: that would be ideal that would really be ideal (laughs) learn those lessons and not keep uh repeating them yeah that would be be perfect yeah yeah
1: well there's plenty of time to reflect plenty of time to be patient absolutely yeah Yeah. Yeah. all right thanks thanks monty for sharing your story and and uh you know revealing new aspects of it yeah thank you for the reminder that i need to spend some time to be quiet and
0: connect with i appreciate that a lot thanks all right cheers a beautiful
2: thought
1: thank you for listening there so of course a lot of us have that same auto exigent nature that monty has a lot of us put pressure on ourselves to do things right now to understand things right now to master a skill right now or comply with our deadline even even before we get to the deadline, things like that, do, do things faster than everybody else or be more moral than, than other people, put standards on ourselves that are much higher than what we expect from others. Now, since I did this interview, I have been thinking about what Monty did a lot and the, the kind of mentality that he had to have to put his life and his hopes and dreams in the hands of David, that skipper. So what if we can do that? What if we don't have to put so much pressure on ourselves? What if we can actually put that faith in the divine, in the quantum field, as Monty put it, in the universe, in God, whatever it is, In whatever form you conceptualize it, what if we can put faith in our unconscious mind to figure things out? We don't have to put all that burden on ourselves or on that conscious part of our mind that we normally see. Maybe there are other processes beneath the surface that are going on that want us to survive and thrive And if we just allow them, if we just release a little bit of control, then maybe things will turn out all right. Just maybe, right? (laughs) So remember, you can head on over to beautifulpodcast.com and uh, get some cognitive behavioral sessions with me so I can listen, understand, hear what the problem is, and ask you some questions that would shift your perspective a little bit, trying to get it down to the real challenge of what's going on in your life. Ask you that beautiful question, what do you want? What would the ideal situation be? What might you even aspire to if you don't want to be depressed, if you don't want to be anxious, or if you don't want to be auto-exigent? What might you be? What could you be? (laughs) we find that opens the doors to all kinds of possibilities when we start to wonder what type of person we really could be and we can change we absolutely can you might have been the same for a very long time or you might say to yourself this is who i am but maybe we can change and maybe It won't take that long to begin the process. So head over to beautifulpodcast.com and uh, book a session with me, please. (laughs) And have a great day. That's the most important thing.
2: You are able to love You a girl. Ain't a girl. Ain't a girl. Ain't a girl. Ain't a girl. Hey, 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 I am home now. Hey, 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 hey,